There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are an Israel teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man has been, has, must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God, one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has, light has come into the world, but people loved, people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that the deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Jen. That's a long passage to read in front of people, isn't it? That's a good job. Uh, today's, um, today we're looking at a passage in John chapter 3. And I'm just curious if, 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 if some of you have been, have been diligent in keeping up with, with reading the Bible on a regular basis. How's that going? Some of you good? Some start off strong and gets a little bit weary? Yeah? Oh, I'm proud of you. Keep, keep, keep it up. Let me, just, let me just give you this little insight. If you're going to choose to read the Bible on a regular basis... I'll just give you a little code. Let me coach you up a little bit in it. Whenever you're reading a Bible, and if something sticks out, just, just even a phrase, a verse, a word, a characteristic of God, something just kind of like pricks your mind. Just keep that one with you for the rest of the week. Like you keep reading, but, but write that down, put it in your phone, put it on a post-it note somewhere. And keep coming back to it day after day. Because here's what's happening, whether you, maybe you don't realize this. 
What we know, what the Bible says about itself is that it is alive and active. And so when someone interacts with, with God's word and something like, like that, that, that one caught me. That was interesting. That was, what's happening is the Holy Spirit is speaking to the one who's interacting with the word of God. So the spirit of God says, I want you to stay right there for a minute. Because somehow, in some way, God's going to use that one little thing to, 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 to draw you deeper, to, to develop you more, to bring you closer to himself. And so as you're reading, if something grabs you, just stay there for a minute. And for the rest of the week, come back to it over and over because the Holy Spirit will start developing God's heart for it in your heart with it. And so we have this one passage in John chapter 3 that, that, that probably should pop out at you. It, it's, it's, it's probably the most well-known verse in all the Bible. It's the verse of the National Football League. <laughs> because back in the day, whenever you turn a football game, there was the guy in the end zone holding up the placard, John 3.16, right? Like, this is the verse that most everybody <clears throat> has at least seen referenced, has heard, and many people, at, you know, to some degree, have memorized. It's also the verse that got Tim Tebow into a lot of trouble when he was making the National Rum of Florida uh, for his antics, and, and they, they whittled his speech down to his eye black. And under his eye black, he wrote John 3.16 on his eye, eye, eye black when he was making his run for national championship with Florida. When that game aired and they interviewed him and had John 3.16 on his face, that caused the greatest internet search uh, since the internet has been created by Al Gore. It, everybody Googled more than any other Google that had ever been Googled. You know the verse. Right? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That is what Jesus told this man named Nicodemus during one solitary late night meeting. Nicodemus, we'll call him Nico. He was part of what's called uh, the, uh, the Pharisees, they were a religious group that was responsible, at least in their minds, to make sure that the people of God followed the rules and laws of God. And they were so committed to this task, they took the Ten Commandments of God and created 613 of them. <laughs> and then it was their responsibility, they felt, to make sure that everybody obeyed them to the letter. The Pharisees weren't, Pharisees weren't weren't bad people. They had really good intentions. They were really good religious people. But do any of you, you Bible students, do you know where the Pharisees originated, why they came about? Well, let, let me tell you. The Pharisees as a group came to be after what's called the Babylonian captivity of God's people. So way back in the 500s B.C., Babylon came down from Babylon and invaded the remaining tribes, 10 of them, in Israel, in the Promised Land, and took them in captivity back to Babylon. 
And they, lived, they were in captivity for about 70 years. And then in 538 BC, they were released from captivity and in a couple different ways came back down and took up residency again, inhabiting the, the promised land. That happened in 538 BC. In 515 BC, this group called the Pharisees came into being. So there was this short little span where the people of Israel, the religious people were thinking, okay, how do we not get back into captivity? And one of the things that they realized was this. Do you know why they were taken into captivity in the first place? Primarily because of a thing called idolatry. They stopped worshiping God as the one true God. They neglected his word. They neglected his ways. They, diso- they lived in disobedience to his commands. And God said, that's fine. I'm going to get your attention. I'm going to take you into captivity. He set you up there for 70 years. So when they came back, they were thinking, okay, we didn't like that. So how do we not get back there? And so this group that came to be known as the Pharisees in 515 BC really came to prominence and said, we're going to make sure that people don't drift again. We're going to make sure that they understand the ways of God and the laws of God and that they obey them. And so the, the intents were good. But religion is full of good intentions gone wrong. And, and so now when Jesus is on the scene, the Pharisees felt that their responsibility to correct what they viewed as religious error And so all these claims that Jesus was making and started to make and was making about him and God being like none other, that that he had the power to forgive sin, their ears perked up and they didn't like that because to them that sounded like heresy led to idolatry. We know what happened last time. And so so there was this, this real tenuous at best relationship between the group of the Pharisees and Jesus, and, and, and Nico was part of the Pharisees. Now, Nicodemus, he wasn't anti-Jesus. He was actually very respectful. Uh, and, and, and Nicodemus was a very good person. But please understand this. Uh, being respectful does not equal to having a relationship. And, and there's a lot of people, dare I say, even in church, that are very respectful towards God and are respectful towards the things of God, but don't have a relationship with them. They're respectful, and they're good people. But being respectful towards God is not the same at all as having a relationship with Him. And so right up front, the question that we've got to ask is this, am I simply respectful towards Jesus, or do I have a relationship with Jesus? Profound difference. An important difference. Nicodemus serves for us, if we look at him in the pages of Scripture, as an example of one who was attracted to and interested initially by the claims of Christ and probably the miracles that he had heard of and maybe seen. But he didn't commit to following him yet. Like I'm interested and I've, I've heard some incredible things. And if he can do that, I want to know more. And I'm interested, but I'm not ready to sign on the dotted line. And, and honestly, that's where a lot of people are. I'm interested. You got my attention. I've heard the stories. I've seen the lives. I mean, I understand that. But, but God, is, he's, he's saved some marriage I didn't think could be saved, right? 
Like, like I've heard the stories. Like, if, if that person can be changed, I know who that guy was. And if he can be changed, there's hope for anybody. I mean, I've heard the stories. I, I've seen God step in and, and, and rescue. I've, I've heard the stories. He's healed this. I never thought that that person would ever be well. I've heard, I'm interested. But I don't know if I'm ready to sign on the dotted line yet. Right? This was Nicodemus. An honest see and want to know more about Jesus. If you've ever been around church for very long and someone's taught through John 3, they've talked about how Nicodemus came to Jesus at nighttime. Way back in the day, there was a television station that ran a program called Nick at Night. And most people kind of down Nicodemus for coming to Jesus at night. Don't read too much into that. It maybe wasn't that big of a deal to come at night because oftentimes the Pharisees as a group, they would debate long into the night hours. This could have just been part of his routine. It could be that he was seeking so much and didn't want to get distracted that he wanted one-on-one time with Jesus. It wasn't that he needed the cover of night. And amongst the Pharisees, there was the teeth of the idea that it's best to seek God in the night hours. And so this could have just been part of his routine. It's just what we do. When I look at him, I think, I don't. at least he came to Jesus to ask some questions. At least he came. Like, I don't, want, I don't care why someone wants to talk about Jesus. At least they want to talk. And that might be some, some people in church say, you might be here for a lot of different reasons. I don't care. At least you're here. Right? Remember when I was young coming up in church and our church youth group was, was really quite large and had a lot of uh, people that were pretty attractive in it. I wasn't one of them. Uh, but, but we got a lot of kids coming. And honestly, you get a lot of pretty girls gathered in one area, you're going to get a lot of stupid boys. And so there were a lot. And, and, there, and there was always this thing about, well, they're only coming because of the girl. Who cares? I'd rather have them come to church look for a girlfriend or boyfriend than be out in a bar looking for, unless it's second son, because, you know, they're kind of our clients. But at least he came. And the thing I love about Jesus' interaction with Nico is this. Jesus didn't, he, he neither praised him for his insight, because Nicodemus said, we know you're from God. And, and that was quite a compliment for a Pharisee to say. But Jesus never praised him for his insight, nor criticized him for his approach. I love that about Jesus. He's, he's no respecter of persons. Like, I don't care why you're here. And I don't care what you know or you don't know. Let me just address your need. And that's what he did with Nicodemus. He got right to the heart of the issue. And Nicodemus' need to be born again. Now, apparently, Nicodemus, this man followed Jesus from afar and gradually inched closer and inched closer and inched closer, little by little. He's certainly what is not what we would call an early adopter. It took him a while, a long while, little bit by little bit by little bit. There's this interaction with Jesus in which he's just completely confused but then in John 7, again, the Pharisees and the ruling 
kind of legal group, the Sanhedrin. They want to they arrest Jesus and charge him illegally. And Nicodemus is the one that stands up in front of all of them and says, no, no, y'all hold off now. Don't do this wrong. Let him be. Let's watch. Sticks up for Jesus. And inches closer and closer and closer. Doesn't rush into anything. But by John 19, after Jesus has been crucified, the body's been taken down in order to keep with the Jewish custom. They had to be buried that night. And so uh, with the leadership of a man named Simon of Cyrene, they solidify this tomb in which to lay Jesus. And the Bible says in John 29 that it was Nicodemus and Simon that prepared his body for burial. Like so much, he had inched so close to Jesus that all of a sudden, when everybody else has walked away, Nicodemus is one of the guys who steps in and says, let me take care of him because this was the Son of God. So it's this, it's this man who finally gets there, who didn't start there, that Jesus has this conversation with. And in verses 3, 4, and 5, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell, I, 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 he says, listen to me. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And Nicodemus being, you know, the educated people are sometimes the stupid, the, the ones who the, they just don't get it because they're too educated. And he says, what? How can that, how can someone be born when they're old? Like, you don't get, I'm not talking. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus says, that's not what I'm talking about. And don't call me Shirley. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. What, what Jesus is talking about, this guy who just, uh, he's, Nicodemus is so focused on their behavior, on not doing the bad things and doing the right things well enough. And Jesus is saying, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree, Nicodemus. I'm not talking about all your behavior and rules and rituals. I'm talking about being born with the emphasis on again. From the water and the Spirit. Now, now, I don't believe Jesus, when he says everybody has to be born of water, I don't believe he's talking about natural birth because, duh. I mean, everybody who is born has been born. <laughs> the Jesus is saying you have to be born again from water and, and the Spirit. Here, here's what I think he's saying. One of the things I think he's saying is indicating this idea of immersion in water, which is called baptism. Baptism is the initiation into the Christian faith community. It's the outward symbol, it's the outward sign that I've been accepted and initiated into this Christian community. It, it, it's, 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 it's I have changed from one family to another family from my earthly family to this spiritual family. It's where we get the idea of our huddle. Like, like I have moved from one community into another community, from my old community that didn't walk in the ways of Christ to a new community. And they have, so there has to be that, and there has to be born from the Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, away from sin, 
so that we can turn away from sin and live a holy life. And Jesus is saying, what I'm talking about here, Nicodemus, is believing in me in a way that leads you to being baptized into the fellowship, into an entirely new community, into an entirely new family. Now that baptism won't save you, but it shows that, that you're part of my family. And to believe in Jesus, the Son of Man, and where the Holy Spirit indwells and enables one to turn from sin. And it says that until that takes place, you can't inherit this eternal life. And, and to, to, to drive it home, Jesus makes the distinction. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised when I tell you, you must be born again. Jesus is making the point that we, we live in two realms. We live in the realm of the flesh, of physical weakness, of disease, of mortality, disease and death. And we live in the realm of the spirit where spiritual birth gives new life to an entirely different realm than just this fleshly realm. See, religious, <coughs> spiritually, Nicodemus lived in this religious system that was all about salvation by being good enough. It was salvation by what they did. It was salvation by what we do. And that's religion. Religion is the thing that tells us that as long as I do the right things and don't do the wrong things, I'm right with God. And that's the system that Nicodemus was growing up in. Because of who he was by birth and by virtue of his life, he would have a right relationship with God. That's religion, and it's a two-letter word spelled D-O. All about what we do. And Jesus is telling him in this interaction, he's saying eternal life, get this, is through faith by the Spirit of God because of what's already been done. Not by you, Nicodemus, but by what will be done on the cross. And for all of us, we got to understand that a right relationship with God has nothing to do with what we do, has everything to do with what has already been done. And the acceptance of that by faith. And so Jesus goes way back in the Old Testament to something that would make sense in Nicodemus's mind, maybe not so much in ours. Jesus gives Nicodemus an example. It's like, I can tell this is hard for you to understand, so let me, let, let me give an example. Let me explain it to you. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Who here knows the story of the snake in the desert? A couple of you? And Moses lifting it up? A couple of you? Well, well, let me tell you what Nicodemus knew that most of us don't really understand too much. God's people wandering around the desert. Uh, and they just, the journey to get in the promised land was taking them way too long. Like they didn't plan on walking around for all this time. Their feet hurt. They don't like the sandals they got to wear. The sand gets everywhere in the crooks and crannies. They don't like that. They don't like the food they got to eat. They don't have the stuff they want to drink. And they just start complaining. Like, this, this is not the way I planned it. 
Right? Has anybody been there? And so they start complaining against Moses and against God. And because they start complaining against the leadership and against God himself, God sends a bunch of snakes to bite them. Not just little garner snakes and king, but poisonous snakes, and they start dying. They're snake bit. Have any of you ever heard that phrase, man, I'm just snake bit, man? Like the raiders are snake bit. They just can't. Right? We thought once we got car, good Christian man, you know, we had the favor of God, but it just, they're snake bit. And have you heard that phrase, snake bit? What's it mean? Bad luck. Misfortune. These things go wrong. Think about this. They were snake bit. Bad fortune, bad results. Why? Because they were complainers and whiners. Just let me press pause on John 3 for a moment and drive this home. When we complain, we're snake bit. You want bad fortune on your marriage? Just complain about it. You want bad fortune in your family? Complain about them. You want bad fortune on your job? Just go on and keep complaining about your boss. You want bad fortune? You want to be snake bit? Keep complaining about the lot God has allowed you to walk. Keep complaining. You know why so many churches are dying and have no momentum and no money and no energy and no people? Because they're full of complainers. You know why the government is so dysfunctional? (laughs) Well, there's a lot of reasons. But I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Your side of the aisle, all they do is what? Complain about the other aisle. Biblically, do you know what God gets the most upset about and punishes the most? Do you know what sin it is? It's not complaining. I, I, I knew I knew that was kind of a lead-off. I was going to say complain. No, it's idolatry. That's why he sent his people into captivity for 70 years, get their heads straight. But closely related to that, probably a close second, is his people complaining. God will not contend with his people complaining. And so the people of God in the wilderness complained and God sent snakes to bite them, poisonous snakes, and they died. And Moses was like, God, this, this can't go on. Like we're, you got to step in. And God does the weirdest thing. He tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and lift it up. So that if people in faith would look up at the serpent on a pole, they would be healed. makes no sense whatsoever. It just had to be accepted by faith. That when I look up at the one on the tree who's lifted up, I'm healed. See, bronze in the Old Testament 
sacrificial system was the metal that was used to absorb the fire of judgment. And so when I look at the thing that absorbs the fire of judgment that's lifted up, I'm healed. Jesus was, was drawing the analogy from Old Testament that Nicodemus would understand that one will be lifted up and when that it's lift, they're lifted up and you turn the one lifted up, they're, they're saved. And it did make sense to them, but it did make sense finally for Nicodemus when at the cross he sees Jesus high and lifted up. And he realizes suddenly, oh, that's what he was talking about back then. So Jesus says, this is the only way that you get to eternal life. Just like Moses lifted up that snake and people looked at it and were healed, when the Son of Man is lifted up. He says, uh, that's eternal life. But here's what I want us to understand about eternal life. Eternal life means, here's what it means. Sharing right now in the life of the eternal one. See, most people think about eternal life as like when I die, I go to heaven. And it means that, but it means more than that. Eternal life means sharing right now. Right now. Sharing in the life of the eternal one. Eternal life is to be enjoyed right now, not just when we get to heaven. The fullness of joy right now. Peace in times of turmoil right now. Authority over our past that the devil would use to destroy our future. All authority over that right now. The abundance of life, life in all its fullness, right now. Freedom from bondage, from addiction, from hurts, habits, and hangups you have never been able to break free from, right now. That's eternal life. Men, let me talk to you guys for just a minute. That announcement that Sean made about this little study I'm going to do, it's a six-week study based in Scripture, and so it's called Don't Miss Your Life. There's something in men who wake up every morning, we ask ourselves this question, do I have what it takes today? Do I have what it takes today to provide for my family? Do I have what it takes today to be a good husband? Do I have what it takes today to be a good daddy? Do I have what it takes today? Do I have what it takes to be successful? And so many men, even if they don't realize they're asking that question, they're asking, you're asking that question. And every time you step into the battlefield of life, that question is on the agenda. And so many times men set their ladder of significance up against the wrong wall in an effort to answer that question. And so what I want to do is just six weeks on Tuesday evenings, it's after too late for you, I'll do it early Tuesday morning though, as well. But to go through this book called Don't Miss Your Life, guys, I don't want you to miss your life. And I don't want you to be, end up being successful and realize that your success has missed your life. Eternal life right now. Doesn't that sound so much better than continue to live in sadness and turmoil chained to your past or by the hurts, habits, and hangups that you've never been able to get free from? And doesn't it sound so much better than waiting for eternal life for when you die? 
See, everything up to this point in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, everything at this point has been written in the present tense. It's a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in real time. But at, 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 at verse 15, it changes. It's no longer present tense. At verse 16, it changes to past tense. Because at verse 16 is the very heart of the gospel. It's the very heart of the character of God. It speaks of God's redemptive act on behalf of humans. And it's past tense. And it tells of the role of faith in leading one to eternal life. And you know the verse. Now, don't, don't miss the verse because you know the verse. Don't miss it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, here, here's what we, don't miss it because you know it. So understand, here's what it means. Because God has already loved, I don't have to earn his love. Because he's already given it. It's already bestowed it. He's already showed it. He's already manifested. And because he's already given it, he can't take it back. So I don't have to earn it. And this is what so many people get so wrong and why there's so many religious people who miss a relationship. Because we believe, every one of us at some point, and some still are, believe this, that if I do good enough, God will show me his love. And Jesus says, he has already loved you. You don't have to earn it. So many of us believe that as long as I do, as long as I continue, God will still. This is past tense. He is already loved. This is why Paul can write, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not height, nor death, nor present, nor things to come. Not even the devil himself. Because it is a done, fixed fact. He's already given his love to you. And has already showed you how great that love is. The Bible says in Romans, Paul says again, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he already chose to love us and die for us. It's a done deal. Quit trying to earn it. And quit believing that because you messed up last night that God is angry and withheld in his love. That doesn't happen. Let this sink in. Quit living with this false guilt of your past that because of what you've done and who you were back then, that God has withheld some of himself. He hasn't at all. For he loved you already. It is a done deal. And you can't get away from it. You can deny it if you want to, but you cannot get away from it. See, God's role in redemption is giving his son. Human's role in redemption is believing in his son. And to believe in Jesus is a commitment to a trust and a reliance upon Jesus. And understand, don't miss this now. The agreement that Jesus is fully God and at the same time fully human. Unlike anything else in the history of history. This is what makes Christianity unique from every other faith. See, in, in Mormonism, it's that man became God. With Christianity, it's God became man. In Islam, God, Allah, speaks through men and includes Jesus. Jesus is some, someone that Allah spoke through. 
But Jesus was only a man, and Jesus was less than Muhammad the prophet, and Yeshua wasn't equal with Allah. Christianity is so unique. There's no other faith that teaches that God, that Jesus was fully God and fully human. And eternal life is resident within those who believe in this Jesus. For God so loved that he gave. This relationship is called the hypostatic union. It's a real weird word. But it means that God took on flesh while retaining full divinity. This is how unique Jesus is. And for God so loved that he gave. When Jesus said this in John 3.16, it was recorded for us there, this was not a philosophical observation about the love of God. This was a declaration of God's love in action. Let me just finish this up. I got a few more verses. Y'all right? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. See, God's purpose in, in Jesus was to save the world, not to condemn it. Now, there might be a lot of church people who think it's their job to condemn the things of the world that are not God's, but that's not Jesus' job, at least this first time when He came. Now, when Jesus comes back, that will be His job, to condemn an unbelieving world. But actually, Jesus won't even do the condemning. So here, here's how, what you've got to understand. All Jesus will do will ratify the judgment that the person has already accepted upon themselves. Jesus doesn't do anything. He just ratifies the person's already decision. But this first time Jesus came, came for one reason, that's to grant eternal life right now. I don't want you to miss it. He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. It's like it's real simple. Whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever does it, whoever chooses to reject it is condemned. They condemn themselves. And when Jesus uses this word believe, please understand, it's not a one-time intellectual assent. When he uses it, whoever believes, it's this thing called this present participle. And it means a continual relationship of trust. And that's why he says, whoever does not believe, he's saying, whoever lives in a continual relationship of denial. He says, so the one who lives in a continual relationship of trust has eternal life right now. But the one who, continue, who has a continual relationship of denial of Jesus, they've condemned themselves. I'm almost done, don't worry. You'll get out of here before the Super Bowl. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And, and, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Like they're, they're open before God. Here, here. Please don't. Jesus didn't come to make us morally good people. He didn't. He didn't. Jesus didn't come for morality's sake. But eternal life does result in a life lived in the light of Jesus, which changes us. And what Jesus is saying here, and we've got to pay attention to this, is that evil thrives in a world of moral darkness and ambiguity. And those who continue to live in rejection of Christ lose the ability to know the difference between good and evil. 
And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Please understand that a culture that continues to live with moral ambiguity loses its ability to know the truth, to know right from wrong, and even to know the difference between a boy and a girl. So because of that, out of love, the Father sent His Son so that I would not have to live in darkness and neither would you. God loved so much that He gave. See, love must of necessity give in order to remain true to its essential character. A love that does not give might be affection and might be tender feelings, but it's not love. And so God loved so much that he gave. Now let me just wrap it up with this. In these ancient times in the Greek, there was three words for love. There's actually a fourth, but it was used so frequently, I'm not going to talk about it. Three words for love. Eros, phileo, and agape. Those were the three words. Eros love is a love that only takes. You exist for my pleasure. It only takes. And eros love, it was, it's not in the Bible, but it was a lot in the culture. Used a lot in the culture. Phileo love is a give and take love. I love you. You love me. And a purple dinosaur taught us all about that <laughs> when we were young. But it's based on this mutual give and take. And if you don't love me, I don't love you so much. And when you do, I do. And then there's agape. And that's a love that only gives. And that's all through Scripture, but it was not in the culture of the day at all. And this is why. After the crucifixion and after the resurrection, when Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you meet me down by the lake because we've got some business to attend to. And during that conversation, this is why this conversation was so profoundly important. During that conversation, after Peter had denied Jesus three times and walked away from him, when everything was falling apart, and Peter's looking around thinking everything we planned is falling apart, denies Jesus three times. That's why this Jesus is sitting with Peter at the, after the resurrection around the, around, around the lake with this little fire that reminded Peter of the fire that he stood around when he denied Jesus. Exact same type of fire. And Jesus says, Peter... Do you agape me? Remember the give only? And Peter responds, Lord, you know I phileo love you. You know it's a give and take. Why else would I have denied you three times? It looked like you had dropped the ball and I was out. And the second time Jesus looks at him, he says, Peter, do you agape love me? And Peter says, Jesus, you know I phileo love you. I'm fickle at best. And Jesus asked him one more time. Why, why did Jesus ask him three times? Because he denied him three times. The third time, you know what Jesus said? Peter, do you? He didn't say agape. He said, Peter, do, 
do you really just phileo love me? And at that, Peter's heart broke, and he said, you know all things. You, you know I only phileo love you. You, you know that I am by your side when things are good, when you're doing, feeding people. But you know that when things fall apart, I'm out. You know. You know the best I can muster is a give and take. You know the best I can do is, is sometimes I like you a lot. And other times, it's not. And the amazing thing about this, why God's so loved, the amazing thing is that after Peter denies Jesus three times and after Peter fails over and over and over again and after Peter admits to Christ that I only like you a lot and I'm here up and down and hot and cold after he does all of that, that Jesus still agrees to agape him. And Jesus still says, even when you walk away from me and even when you deny me and even though you love me in a give and take, when if you think I'm good to you, then you'll be good to me. But if you think I'm bad to you, then you'll be bad. Even though that's how I still love you in a way that gives and gives and gives and gives and you cannot get away from my love. And the same with us. Even though we might look good at church and convince others that we're good people, we still phileo. And we walk away and we're unfaithful. We deny. We think we got to earn it to get it back. And God says, I love you in a give only way. Even if you don't do, and even when you don't give, I love you in a give only way. And I love you so much I've given myself. All you got to do is believe in that. And right now, God loves so much that he gave. Here's what I want you to know, that God always outloves. Why? Because God always outgives. And God always outgives. Why? Because God always outloves. And all this stuff was written. All this was written that we might believe. And so I'm going to invite you to come believe. And this God who has already chosen to love you. It's a settled fact. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you that you love us with an undying, unquenchable love. There's nothing in our past that was in the past when you chose to love us. Thank you that because all of our stuff was future, you chose to love us in spite of everything we have done and will do. That your love is secured and proven to us by sending your son to be on a cross. 
Some of you have, have signed on the dotted line with Jesus a long time ago. But we still haven't gone, grown past the phileo love. Hot and cold. Some of us have signed on the dotted line a long time ago. But still live with the erroneous threat of losing God's love. Some of you haven't yet signed on the dotted line with Jesus. These things are written that we might believe and in believing have eternal life. So wherever you are in that spectrum, I'm going to invite you in the quietness of this moment. Between you and a God who has already said, I love you, always have, to come and believe in His Son. Simply stated in the quietness of your own heart, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I choose to put my trust and my faith and my allegiance in and on you. Would you just be honest with Him and say, God, I don't love you like I probably should. But with the little bit I do, thank you that you've accepted me. I believe that because you love me, you sent your son to die for me, to be raised so that I could have eternal life and I accept it. And I lay hold of it. And I proclaim it in the name of Jesus. We love you, God. You are a good God. Continue speaking to us through your word. Thank you that's alive and active. I pray that it pierces and creates life. In your name I pray, amen. Listen, church. I love you. Love you too, Pastor Carl. Just kidding. I love you. Keep reading the Bible. You got it? Whatever you are right now, if you read once a month, fantastic. Just make it a goal to read twice a month. If you read once a week, fantastic. Make it a goal to read twice a week. Get in and let it talk, and we'll talk about it together here. I know you know people that don't study this thing very much at all. Invite them with you. We're going to discover this together. You got it? All right. Love you. Let's sing a little bit.